The Evolution Channel is sponsored by Eternal Gold Beauty, the most advanced skincare line in the world. Awaken your skin to aging in reverse at eternalgoldbeauty.com today. You're listening to The Frequency of Creativity with Melinda Har Curley. Welcome everyone to The Frequency of Creativity, where we are at the intersection of energy and art. I'm your host, Melinda Har Curley, and to see how I translate energy and light into art, sign up for my newsletter at melindaharcurley.com. Today, I'm really excited to talk with the Brooklyn-based artist, Martin Dahl. Welcome, Martin. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Well, we're really excited to have you here. And Martin, I just want to say you've made my job as an interviewer so easy because on your website, you've given a number of lectures and every topic is something that we talk about here at the Frequency of Creativity. So um, where I want to start is art as experience. So I'm an artist and also a poet. So for each painting, I write a poem. And the reason I do that is to create this experience for the viewer around the art so that it's a multi-level entry point to the work, both visually and through words. So Martin, tell us, what does art as experience mean to you? And how do you create that with your art? Well, I guess to start off, um, I work abstractly because what I'm interested in is engaging the viewer not through any sort of representational image, but actually through direct experience with the the objectness of the work, first of all. And then in doing that, I become interested in how the viewer then begins to implant their own impulses and their own sort of way of decoding the world around them into the work that I've given to them. So it's, to me, it becomes this amazing way to bridge communication, all kinds of communication gaps, because you're sort of taking any kind of middleman out and there's no presumption of what I want to tell people or what people should see, but it's more about what they see through what I'm giving them through things that I've seen. Um, So to me, it's as direct a way as I can figure to communicate, um, to communicate to the viewer without limiting that communication. Martin, what I really liked about what you said, and you're also very clear about this on your website, is you're not trying to tell the viewer anything. And I get the impression that you're sharing your personal narrative that is also a universal theme and that you're sharing your own I, I, your own view. Or, No, views is the wrong word. You're sharing 
your own experience so that the viewer can meet you and meet your work at that same level of experience. Yes. Um, And when I share my experience through the language of painting, I really, I'm really trying to become very conscious of how to expand how I share that experience rather than contract how I share that experience. So in other words, um, well, there's, there's a, there's a kind of metaphor that I, I, I like to use when I'm trying to explain this, which is if you want to share with another person, the experience of what it's like to love someone, would you do that by writing a dissertation and bullet pointing exactly how neurons fire and, and, you know, like, would you, would you kind of put together some sort of scientific thesis on love that was very direct? I don't think so because it would, it would remove, it would remove the experience of love from from that, from that situation, you would most likely try to write poetry, right? You would use, you would use other words and combine them together to sort of create this idea that your, your reader could then experience love through. And I'm trying to do that through the visual. You know, I'm, I move through this world and I have these experiences and, and especially the intense experiences. I think we all have these moments where we're in a situation and it can be like the most banal situation. It could be just standing on a street corner and all of a sudden this fragrant smell is in the air and you, you notice that you're standing next to a little garden of roses or something. And all of a sudden in that moment, you're so engaged in this like teeny poetic moment of standing next to those roses. And it's like a moment like that, that I try to kind of capture and bottle and take with me back to the studio and then construct these paintings and sculptures or what they're really becoming now are, are, are constructing these environments where I invite the viewer to exist inside of them and experience the world through, through my eyes, but not just through my eyes in a visual sense. I, I want it to be through my eyes and into my heart. And I, I want to give the core of, of what, what it is like to be a human and exist. And I know my environment best, so I'm doing it through my environment, but I think it's in that place that, that communication happens. I mean, we are all human beings and we all exist and we all have vastly different experiences, but they also are like synchronicitous. They, they somehow come together and it's in that place that I want my work to exist. And Martin, in my opinion, you have achieved that because when I look at your work and we'll talk more about that, 
But Martin, we're going to have to go to a short break right now. And before we do, can you please share with the listeners where they can find more about you and experience your work? Absolutely. Um, the best the best way to experience the work directly would be um, through my website, www.martindullart.com. Or um, for the most day-to-day, up-to-date things of what I'm doing and where I am, uh, Instagram is a very good way to, to, um, to see kind of a, an ongoing feed of, of things that I'm involved in. And my Instagram handle is at M-G-D-U-L-L. So at M-G-Dull. Great. All right. Please stay with us as we explore so much more about Martin and his cutting edge work. Hello, I'm Tonya Don Reckla, Executive Director of Superpower Experts and creator of the Superpower Network. Welcome and thank you for making us your go-to place for inspired content, training, and community. The network is so much more than a place for amazing content. It's step one on the path to unlock your superpowers. Listen to one episode daily on the Superpower Network and attune yourself to inspired conversations, higher vibrational living, and much, much more. In step two, you learn with us by watching one of our inspirational videos each week from the IM series. And when you're ready, come grow in community. Our superpower programs offer a unique experience for those ready to harness their superpowers to change themselves, their lives, and ultimately, the world. Go to superpowerexperts.com and take the next step on your path today. We're back with the frequency of creativity where we are at the intersection of energy and art. And we're having this, I love this conversation with you, Martin, because I resonate so deeply with everything that you're saying and that you are creating this opening or experience for the viewer to step into and to step into deeply. Martin, you seen that you came to uh, art at a very early age. When did you start to know that? And I could tell this is what you're meant to do in the world. And that's so obvious. <laughs> when did that become obvious to you? So two of my earliest memories that kind of predate chronological memory for me. Um, one is... I remember sitting under a table in my, my parents moved, moved quite a bit when I was younger. And I remember sitting under one of the tables in the apartments we lived in. And I I had, I guess it was like a little, like a little devotional book or something. Um, I maybe had belonged to my mom, but it, it was, it was mine at that point. I remember, I think I had like a pen or a pencil or something. And I was trying to like create the story of Humpty Dumpty. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that. And every time I would draw as a child, I just remember not thinking of it as like, oh, I'm like drawing a picture of something. I remember like thinking, if I can draw this just right, like it'll be the thing that I want it to be. And so like, there was that magic to me behind drawing. And then I also remember 
loving watching my dad write in cursive. Mm. And, uh, and my dad, uh, for a time, he, he had worked, uh, this, gosh, this must have been in the late 80s, early 90s. He was working um, on the side. He was working with, with Amway selling soaps. Mm-hmm. He had all these clients. So he would like, he would write out these receipts and he'd be on the phone and he'd keep like, you know, journals and stuff. And it would all be in cursive. And I just remember just finding like the swirls and like the gesture of the writing so amazing. And I'd like try to duplicate it. I'd like look <laughs> and I'd try to like make up these languages. So I just, with those earliest memories, and then I was lucky to grow up in a, in, in a family to have two very dedicated parents that understood that my, in, that I had artistic interests and also mm-hmm. to encourage and foster them. It was never, a, it was never like, Oh, he's just, he's just a kid. He's just dry. It was always like, oh, wow, he really likes to do this. Like we better like get him pencils and get him paper and encourage him. Like whenever, whenever they could like get me involved in something where my art would be up on a wall or out in the public, mm-hmm. like they would, they would do that. And, people would always, you know, as I got older, people would always say, wow, you're really good at drawing, you know, wow, you're a really good artist. So I've sort of just always been and known that that's what I, what I was and lucky to be in a family and community that um, appreciated that. Martin, you telling those stories, I remember, I think I was in third grade and I'm from the Pittsburgh area. And so we were going to the zoo and Pittsburgh is the base of a triangle. So it makes the roads make no sense. And especially a while ago before Google, you know, any of this. And so I just remember my father driving around and you know, Virginia, where in the heck are we? You know, to my yeah. mother. And then in art class, I drew this abstract painting of all these lines everywhere. And then I titled it A Trip to the Zoo. And I brought it home. And I remember my parents going, oh, my goodness. She captured, like, what happened to us as a third grader? So it's, it's just it's really great to think of those childhood memories. And Martin, I want to make sure that everyone appreciates your um, accomplished background already. You're a mixed media artist. You studied at Pratt, Marywood, and the New York Studio School of Drawing, Painting, and Sculpture. And that's where you received your MFA. You were the 2015 recipient of the Peter Rippon Royal Academy European Travel Grant, the 2016 Artist in Residence at the Sam and Adele Golden Foundation, the 2017-18 Trestle Open Studio Resident, and also the 2020-21 New York Studio School Sculpture Studio Resident. Uh, You have been a guest speaker 
at the New York Studio School, at the Pratt Institute, at Fordham University, and also at Hunter College. Your artwork has been included in both group and solo exhibitions throughout the U.S., and most notably uh, the John Davis Gallery in Hudson, New York, and the M. David and Company in Brooklyn, New York. Martin, when I look at your work, I feel it is strong, serious, unapologetic, big in both size and scope. I feel a sense of immediacy and I feel deeply drawn into it and it holds my interest and I really want to explore it a lot. So Martin, as a mixed media artist, what is the guiding force behind your work? What is your motivation? And what are you trying to bring through with your art? Well, the guiding force is discovery. And discovery takes on many forms. So part of that is personal discovery. Um, the process of art making is fulfilling. But when you're really in it and you're really searching, it it can be painful. It can be pleasant. Um, you have to dig really deep into the self. And when you start to uncover levels and layers of the self, it's not always nice things that you find. Uh, the beauty of being an artist is that there's this sort of catharsis in, in making that allows these allows you to begin to understand yourself in a much more holistic way. Um, so yes, part of the, part of the process of making is self-discovery. And then another, another huge motivator in the studio is um, material discovery in the sense that When I'm actually in the process of mark making or building or putting things together, I go through this whole searching the self and finding, finding, finding my place of creativity. But then when I'm actually making the mark, when I'm actually in the moment of creation, I have to empty my mind and just make and, and let something happen. Now, now it, it's, it's about setting up like these circumstances. Um, and the longer you, I mean, the longer you work with paint and, and other materials, uh, construction materials and things, you become very sensitive to those things. Um, but I have this sort of like uh, mantra, which is I set up these, these scenarios in which I'm, I'm, making and then things happen that I'm allowing to happen but I have to lose enough control that when I step back and look at what I just did it's still surprising to me mm -hmm. and it's still exciting to me because the mantra is that if if it's not surprising and exciting to me how can I expect 
the person looking at it to be surprised and excited or engaged. So it's as much about engaging myself with the material and being excited about what I'm doing um, as it is about having knowledge. And uh, even back to talking about being a child and, and drawing and, and you with the map of, of Pittsburgh, which that's, that's incredible. Um, I'm not going to get this correct, but I'll get kind of the essence of this statement. Um, it was Picasso would talk about, uh, it took me 16 years to learn how to draw like Raphael, but it's taken me my entire life to learn how to draw like a child. I understand that. Can you help expand on that, Mark? Sure, sure. You know, it, it seems kind of silly and innocent and like something, yeah, Picasso would say that. But when you unpack what he actually said and you think about the implications of it, I think one of the reasons we respond to, to children's drawings isn't just because they're children and we like children and, and, but it's because they're, they're seeing everything in the world around them for the first time. They don't even understand what they're decoding or what they're, what language they're working with. So when they make a nose or, or they try to draw an eye or a face or a, or a table or a, a chair, it, it's, recognizable but it's exciting because it's like they're discovering the thing as they're drawing it then you know you go to school and you learn you know you you learn all these techniques and how people have implemented these things throughout history and you get to what are considered these kind of high forms of art like let's say let's say the high renaissance where there's this um there's this conflation of, of science and religion and painting um, where the representation becomes very real world based and they, and they make these sometimes very hyper-realistic representations of the world around them. Um, you can kind of soak in all that knowledge, but then you're left with understanding what everybody else has already done. So I, I think there comes a point in, in, in an artist's life where they realize that they now need to take everything they know and go one step further with it, which I think is breaking at this point in history, I think is breaking it all apart and figuring out what the essence of this thing that we're doing even is. Why do we keep doing it? I, I know that I personally don't do it to... Um, make a, a, a photorealistic drawing. I, with enough time, um, I know that I can do that. I have the skill to, to do something like that. But we have all these other means of capturing images that mean that that's not necessary. So what is it, what is it about putting paint on canvas or assembling something together? What's that primal thing that keeps us as human beings going back to it over and over and over again? What's the primal thing that makes that language so compelling? Um, and I think that 
that's the discovery that happens every time I'm in the studio. I'm 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 searching for for what that thing is, and I I don't think there's a singular answer. I think it becomes a journey, and that's so exciting to me because I realized I've chosen to do something with my life that one nobody can take that from me. Yeah, I, maybe I won't make any money off of it. Maybe maybe I won't have, you know, that kind of definitive uh, brand of success that, that people talk about or that you see on top, but nobody can take what I do away from me. I will always be able to do that. And on top of that, it'll continue to offer me new things to discover. I will never get bored of doing this thing over and over and over again, because it's never the same twice. What an incredible gift, right? It really is. And I identify so deeply with everything that you're saying. And, you know, uh, my last, it hasn't aired yet, but it will. Um, An art historian and a collector wrote a book on Salvador Dali. And what you're saying, it was so pertinent in that conversation because Dali, and everyone knows him with the handlebar mustache and he was a crazy person and fascinating. Um, he had so strictly adhered to the old masters and figurative work. And the authors of the book, um, and I was a very good host and let them speak. And as an abstract artist, they, um, and I understand, and I had a whole new appreciation of Dolly in reading this book. It was very well written and very well done. And the two authors, they um, supported Dolly in the figurative old master style. And in the podcast, they said that, you know, abstract art is the field of intellectuals and, but, you know, no one understands it. They don't look at it. And everything that you just said was a perfect compliment to Salvador Dali. And what you just shared, it's, and what we even started with, it's the experience it's entering it. It's the energy of the work. You talked about your excitement and the viewer feels that you can't see the energy, but you know it. You sense it, you feel it. And that's what the viewer taps into is your energy. You know, it's funny you're mentioning old masters Obviously, I, I'm I'm working in a mode of art that is is abstract and would probably be considered contemporary. Um, but one of the biggest inspirations for for especially the project that I, I, I'm currently engaging in is. Uh, I spent a lot of time on my, the European travel grant you mentioned, I, I went all across Europe, um, but Rome stole my heart. And I spent a lot of time in Rome. And when you walk into those little churches in old Rome, they're, they're crowded and they're busy and they're full of these, these 
big altar and they surround you and they're and they're they're gaudy and they're flashy but at the same time they're they're humble and they're engaging and and I think anybody that walks into that environment is consumed by it and more than just in the sense that they're looking and they're going oh that's Moses over there and oh that's that's Jesus up there it's not even about that it's about the way that these artists engaged the space around the viewer and and orchestrated orchestrated this experience I paid very close attention to to that and um, that that mode of old master work. And I try to bring that into my work very directly. And in fact, a lot of these old master paintings, um, and I mean, you see this in all kinds of pop culture documentaries, uh, you know, on the Discovery Channel or, or PBS, especially about like, let's say Leonardo da Vinci. Mm-hmm there's a lot of abstract geometry happening yes. behind these paintings that is important because that's, that was their way as, as poets really of speaking to the divine in their work. So the representation was about people around them and about telling these stories, especially because at the time, very many people were totally illiterate. They could not read. So they were going to go into a church and they were going to get an education through pictures. But behind those pictures was this, this language of God and the universe, this idea of something much bigger than we are. And that's why you have that kind of experience in front of those paintings that I would argue you, you don't necessarily have that same experience in front of something hyper-realistic. Uh, like contemporarily hyper-realistic. Um, mm-hmm. It's just a different animal. Let's say you, you confront a, a, Chuck, uh, a Chuck Close uh, painting or drawing or something. Some of those are so hyper-realistic, but I feel like you miss that divine experience. And so in working abstractly, I'm, I'm curious about capturing that divine experience, which is actually rooted way back in the history of painting. Mm-hmm. It's much less contemporary than it is ancient. And it, and it goes, I mean, and before you get to like that high Renaissance period where things have that high level of finish and they look almost photorealistic in our understanding of, of what photorealism is now, um, you go back before that to, to these odd little altarpieces from like, let's say the Quattrocento and it's very obvious that in representation, they could almost be like cartoony or silly, but they're not because they're held together by that same type of, that same type of geometry that, that, that gives them this, this presence or this omnipresence, or it's, it's, it's a powerful thing that is so embedded in our psychology as human beings. Yes. Um, that begins with the first person in a cave to scrawl an animal on the cave wall and to, to feel the, the wall of the cave move to the contours of the drawing they were making. And there's this belief even in, in those ancient cave drawings and, and hand printings that they were trying to spiritually capture 
something of the soul to leave behind, to, to, to leave to, to the world, to, to, to be present forever in a sense. I mean, so this is the language that connects everybody from, from myself to, to Dali, to, to Michelangelo, to uh, Piero della Francesca, you know, all the, all the way back. Um, de Kooning is, is, a, is a wonderful, more modern painter. Uh, people kind of sit him nicely in the abstract expressionist movement now, but he was much more European than his counterparts like, like Pollock. And he would talk about this train track of history. He was more interested in reaching back into the past than he ever was with what was going on around him in the present. And I actually relate to that very deeply. And Martin, so in listening to you um, and having that experience of being with the old masters and the, you know, the Davids and these altarpieces and the Sistine Chapel and that you're right there, there's an omnipresence about them. And you're attempting to achieve that same sense of presence through non-objective work. They do it figuratively. And correct me if I'm wrong, I'm feeling like that you resonate with that energy and you're trying to bring this divine experience through non-objective, immediate, gestural, mixed media work to have that same experience that someone would in front of the David. I mean, I, yes, that would be like the kind of the penultimate goal. Right. Mm -hmm. And I mean, people could, I mean, there is, there, there is something very intellectual about abstract art in the sense that, um, It takes, to be able to really decode the language does take a bit of education that maybe the average person wouldn't possess. But that's fine with me. And that, I don't, I don't even care about that. I mean, that's in there because I'm a painter. I, I mean, it's the same as like, if somebody makes tables for a living, right? And they make really beautiful tables there's the objective experience that the public has with using the table and loving the table, but they don't actually necessarily understand how the carpenter, the master carpenter built the table. And that's not important. Understanding the master carpenter's language as a carpenter isn't important for experiencing and using the table. And I would argue the same is true of me working with abstraction. I think the problem is that it got so caught up with this intellectual idea. And at a certain point in, in, our, in our history, we started to remove art from the public and make it this sort of highbrow exclusive thing. But it really isn't that because at the heart of art is experience and everybody can experience. And I think yes. people, unfortunately sometimes feel 
threatened by how intellectualized these things were. So I also feel part of my mission is to make things that are so engaging that they, that yes, an intellectual who understands all these things could go in and, and try to decode it, but what they're going to want to do first is experience it so that the, the intellectualizing becomes secondary or irrelevant. And in that way, I get to engage with the public again. I get to make it about everybody, not just somebody or this elite class. And I, I believe in my heart of hearts that people are capable of more than we think they are capable of. And in that sense, it's not good enough for me to provide them with some easy explanation or some, some picture or image because I think I'm supposed to challenge them. I'm supposed to engage them, challenge them and make them feel like they, they like it, even if they don't understand it. And then that's okay. And in fact, that's better, you know? Yes. Well, and Martin, you have achieved that. And whenever I look at your work, you get, it's expansive. So anyone can enter at any point and then the painting can grow with them wherever they are. And I have one last question. Will you come back? Because I have a whole other list of questions and we're out of time that I even got to. And you are such the perfect guest. And I am so interested in your work and your opinions. So we'd love to have you back. I, I would love to come. This has been wonderful. <laughs> Good. And it's wonderful, wonderful for me. And it will be for the listeners as well. Martin, before we go, can you please share with us one more time where we can find uh, more about you? Yes. Uh, so for the kind of curated selection of my work and a little bit more about my biography, you can go to my website, which is www.martindullart.com, M-A-R-T-I-N-D-U-L-L-A-R-T.com. Um, or for just kind of the ongoing, what I'm up to, what I'm working on, things that are complete, things that are incomplete, kind of a view into my everyday studio life, you can go to my Instagram handle, which is at M-G-D-U-L-L, at M-G-Dull. Martin, this is fascinating, and it was fascinating for me being the host. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today on the Frequency of Creativity, where we are at the intersection of energy and art. To see how I translate energy and light into art, sign up for my newsletter at Melinda. Parcurly.com. Now take Martin and my advice and go out and experience art for yourself today. Thank you for listening to the Superpower Network. Go now to superpowerexperts.com to unlock your superpowers and change your life today.